0: I love the idea that you're going to be smart, you know, smarter today than I was yesterday because same, no two projects are ever the same. You never get bored. You're never just churning out the same old same old stuff. I'm sure people do, but that's certainly not the way we work.
1: You know, that's the real buzz if, if you've created something where people don't just like it, but they love it and they want to wear it or they want to use it or they want to, they couldn't live without it. I mean, that it's not really, it's not about attaching yourself to it. It's just about saying that you've kind of impacted something, I guess.
0: Making sure that you're not running before you walk, and just taking your time, not being such a rush to get to where you want to be, and just making sure you understand as much as possible.
1: It's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Uh, uh, they say that they don't, you, people don't remember what you say or what you do. They remember how you made them feel.
2: Welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you very much for having me. Uh, can we start off
0: with who Mr. B is and, and their friends and who, who everyone is, do you want to lead? I can do, yeah. yeah so um, so Mr. B and friends, we are a uh, brand consultancy, full service creative agency, uh, 13 years old now. Mr. B is in the office next door, though he's not here today, he's still, still a real person and, uh, and obviously leading the business. Um, the friends part came from when he first started, uh, ex-London agency experience. Started Mister Being Friends from his own bedroom. Uh, the friends part was pretty much his little black book of uh, of contacts and freelance resource that um, he'd tap into, given whatever the, the project uh, requirements were. And over the last thirteen years, that's grown. So I guess technically we are we are the friends now, but mm-hmm. inside the office as well. So nice. that's who Mister Being Friends are.
2: Nice. That's a cool word. Start uh,
1: start an agency or a studio. Do you call yourself an agency or a studio? Uh, tends to be agency actually. Agency, yeah. I don't think there's any any uh, sort of thought around that. It's just mm. what we That's say. Is. Cool. Uh, who are you two? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so my my name is Adam Partridge. I head up the strategy and planning team here at Mr. Bean Friends. Uh, my name's Chris Tozer.
1: I'm associate creative director um, and uh, oversee uh, a wide
0: variety of different projects.
2: Cool. What? what uh, how long have you been at Mr. Bean Friends?
0: So. Uh, just about three years now I've been here. So um so yeah.
2: I'm coming up for nice. Yeah. So what what sort of attracted you to, to work here as opposed to other places?
0: Um, I think for me I just I've been living overseas for quite some time. Right. Um and being from well the West Country originally knew I was gonna try and move back to Bristol. Um, but having been overseas for twelve years my my knowledge of you know, the, the agency kind of world, if you like, was, wasn't was what it used to be. Um, but when I first met, I was put in contact with uh, with Mr. Bean Friends and I first sort of met them and worked on a, a sort of a pitch at the time and just the way that they thought about brands, the way that they um, their outlook in terms of the type of work they wanted to do, or they were doing, um, and also the, the type of agency, the culture as well. It's a very um, friendly kind of people, you know, place to work. And I think the Mr. Bean Friends name isn't just a you know a word on the a name on the door it actually goes deeper than that so for me a lot of the a lot of things i had probably on my own personal tick list were kind of quite apparent early doors and that's what made me be keen to join nice how about yourself uh,
1: so i moved down from london in um, 2015 um wanted to make sure that uh, i found an agency that was obviously doing great work and had the potential to do even better work and um you know, had that sort of variety as well. Um, wanted to make sure that I wasn't sort of. Um, I remember my friends telling me that Bristol was a place where uh, designers go to die, which was uh, right. just them taking <laughs> taking the mickey out of me, really. But I didn't want to lose my ambition. Basically, I wanted to make sure that I was still going to one of the best agencies in the southwest, and and that's why, um, I I went uh, straight for Mr B, and unfortunately, we we made uh, good rapport. So yeah. yeah. Step nice. around. It's becoming like a really big design scene out down
2: here now. It's a, a the design scenes in the UK is obviously got London. You got things a bit more Brighton now, and you have
1: got what's up north like Manchester. it has oh yeah, Man- got a reputation,
0: isn't it? Is Leeds coming up as well, is it or not? I
1: yeah, uh, Leeds, Birmingham, Manchester, all all of the sort of big hubs outside of London. They're they're making incredible work and sort of proving that London isn't the centre of it all. Um, yeah. which which is nice to see.
0: But I think you you do to Chris's point, you get a lot of. Um, Ex big London agency people looking to move down to the southwest. Okay. I think there's a really good um, creative agency kind of culture here. I even heard people refer to, cause especially from a digital tech perspective, but um, people refer to Bristol um, as Silicon Gorge. There's right. a the Bristol Gorge. So mm-hmm. there's, that, there's that kind of sort of um, association, I think, with, with Bristol. So it's quite a thriving creative hub, really. Nice.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, every time I've been down here, it's, it's awesome. Um, do you know Gavin Strange? Yeah, yeah. because yeah. yeah. he's obviously down here, and um, that's the first person I met in Bristol, and he's,
1: he's amazing. So, yeah, uh, he's, he's a character. He's got an incredible, incredible yeah. amount of energy. Yeah. I don't know where he gets that from, but yeah. it's inspiring. Uh, I was going to ask you then. about yeah. your, your
2: 20s, because the, the podcast is, is focused towards young designers, and young creatives, and as someone in the, in the 20s myself, it's, it's always great to get advice. So what, what were you two doing in your late 20s or early 20s to, to get into the design scene?
0: Um, so I sort of fell into it really. I did a, I mean I work in more obviously more strategy than the design side of things, but I think that was because I, I, I always wanted to be a graphic designer, but I didn't think my drawing skills back in the days were, were good enough. Right. Um, and then I realised that actually most designers probably mm-hmm. can't no, ever, draw. Or, <laughs> um, but I, I did a marketing degree, and I pretty much fell into an agency role pretty much straight out of university, um, just by chance. So I think for me, um, during my twenties was pretty much been caught up in the flow, really, and just finding my feet and trying to understand what the agency world was all about. Um, You know, working in different roles, mainly kind of client service, but also, um, again, for me being sort of now in sort of strategy role, but I didn't really understand what that role was at the time. And, and, you know, working on client projects, um, being asked certain questions, and and starting to understand, actually, there's a piece of thinking that needs to be done on, on projects there that I was naturally drawn towards. So, for me, in my 20s was was really trying to understand the agency landscape, if you like, and trying to sort of, I suppose, align what I was interested in um, to the work that I was doing and just trying to understand it more than anything. I don't think I was ever one of those people that um, was so uber confident to say, I'm gonna do that, and I'm just gonna do this, this, and this. It was very much about trying to understand the layer of the line, layer of the land rather, and. Um, and learn really, I suppose, absorb as much information and learn from doing many things wrong, I think was mm. pretty much what I spent most of my 20s Twenties doing.
2: Yeah, and that's one thing that a lot of young designers don't really understand is the strategy behind it. So what is, what is design strategy? in a nutshell. Well it's a good,
0: well, I mean how long have we got? Yeah, I think it's interesting because you used the term design strategy there, I think I think the strategy is a, as a I mean I'm almost sick of hearing it, it's, it's, it's well overused in terms of what strategy is, and, and um, but I think there's a really simplified way of sort of looking at it really, and I think it all starts from the business strategy, so if you're working for your client, what are they trying to achieve as a business, how that then ladders down to what's the marketing strategy, so from a A broad marketing perspective, which doing a piece of design or whatever that might be might be one component of that. What is the marketing strategy that needs to ladder up to deliver the the business strategy? And then below the below the marketing strategy, you're into the kind of the realm of whether it's is a you know comm strategy here. What are we trying to communicate to who is it design strategy? So if you're clear on what your, you know, what your brands are all about, how does that how does that manifest itself through design? So actually thinking about you know visual language of you know, design is communication. So, you know, if you're trying to communicate a brand that's all about being authentic or you know contemporary, for example, what are the visual language What's the visual language and the cues that support that? So, I think there's a real. Sometimes you, people see strategy as sort of a in isolation, sitting in a silo. But I very much see it as a as a, a sort of a flow right from the top in terms of the business strategy right down to the physical design work that you do. Um, and I think everything's got its sort of place in there. So, I mean, I could talk for hours yeah. about what strategy is, but yeah. that, that's how I see it. I think it's just, it's not in isolation. It has to ladder up and ladder down to what the business is trying to achieve. And that's that's probably the key thing that um, I think it's easy to, you know, be seen as a, as a creative and as a designer and sort of disassociate yourself from actually the bigger picture. And I think the best the best designers or creatives I've ever worked with are the ones that really understand, you know, or ask those questions. What Why are we doing this? What what are we trying to achieve? And then making sure that they still deliver the creativity that takes you to that destination.
2: Yeah, that's that's become more apparent on on the podcast, especially ones I do with studios, that they've got a really good understanding of that, because as a young designer, you you go through this sort of process of trying to get your first client, and and really early on, and tend not to be the people that understand the strategy behind it, and you still have to teach them a little bit. Um, But yeah, do you think there's like a, a, I go completely off now, but do you think there's going like, like a level to the type of client you get? So at the start, when you're working for yourself as an independent designer, you you sort of get local businesses and people that aren't really too fussed about the strategy behind it, or maybe or also because the designer doesn't really know much about it as well. Um, I don't really know what the question is, but do you think that's true? Do you think yeah, you get that? definitely. Do you have yeah. to go through that process, or is it something that you can? Learn? Yeah, I think um,
0: it's. The, the, I suppose where the client's at and their their perception of what strategy is and okay. how it how and how open they are, or how much you know, how much strategy they already have within their business is is really key. And I think a lot of what I do now is um, kind of pure brand positioning strategy. And I think the, the interesting thing is that when people talk about branding and brand strategy, a lot of people, a lot of people's minds, it's really around, you know, what's our catchy strap line and what does our logo and identity look like? But actually the reality is if you're talking about Brand positioning strategies, it, it is actually a transformational piece of work, and right. um, it's what goes on beyond it because we can come up with amazing, kind of catchy, clever strap lines and beautiful, you know, visual identity, and we can say whatever that client feels they want to say about their business. But if they don't deliver that in terms of the experience they provide to their customers, it just becomes meaningless. So, a big part of what um, certainly what I do or what we do as a, as a business is sort of saying well look we can if we want to say communicate that message and come up with that strap line or that identity what else are you doing or we doing is working with you as the, the client to really understand how you deliver that as part of your experience so it runs really deep and I think there's a lot of you know dare I say it now there's still a lot of you know pretty substantial big marketing you know businesses and, um, and departments that still see branding or brand strategy as a catchy strap line and a, and a logo when actually it needs to sort of flow into pretty much everything that, that the business does.
2: Right, and, and as a young designer how do you learn that sort of stuff, is it just jumping into an agency and learning it from them or, or online, can you learn it online or how do, you, how do
1: you learn the thinking behind it all? Do you want to that or? um I suppose and um, to go back to your original question of how I spent my 20s is, is yeah. just is by doing that by throwing <laughs> myself um, at anything and everything so I worked mainly in digital agencies but I I didn't just worry about uh, digital design I st- worked in motion graphics departments I worked in um, the sort of campaign um, side of things so digital advertising and um, but I actually kind of found myself being drawn more to the conceptual side of things. And yeah. um, so, you know, it's kind of the substance rather than the style is what makes something um, sort of truly meaningful, I think. Um, and once you start thinking about trying to work out what that substance is, what the, what the idea or the message is, then you, you naturally have to think strategically. You have to think, okay, well, what, what is the brief asking of me? And how do I make sure that the business problem is translated um, clearly through this piece of communication? Um, and so, that's uh, that's kind of where Adam and I sort of um, start to meet. Is where um, the, the insights that Adam understands from from the business problems and from the market, um, we sort of bang heads and hopefully take that insight and, and make something um, compelling for, for that audience or audiences.
0: I think I think as well. There's um, the the whole industry is always sort of moving so fast, and there's always kind of the shiny and the new and the latest things that come out that depending on who you talk to it's the thing that you need to be offering to your clients and everything else but I I, I maintain that I think some of the fundamentals of what works haven't really changed for, for a number of years but it's such a tendency to go chasing after the shiny and the new but I think there's a load of you know some really, really Um, experience people at the top of their game or have been for a long time that you can follow on social media or you know most have their own websites and their own blogs their own YouTube channels um, where you can get some absolute pearls of wisdom from people who've actually been there and done it and continue to do it and I think um, you know if I was a young designer um, I'd be keen to understand who are those people that I should be following you know and actually who are the people that as an agency for us to say, Mr. Bean Friends, who who are the people that we align the way we think to what to what they do? And I think it's so easy to get distracted and start following something you know something new that's come out or some latest buzzword, um, when actually I think there's some fundamental basics that just aligning yourself around those will put you in a really good stead.
2: Right, yeah, that's, that's I guess one reason why I'm trying to do this podcast as well, because trying to have these sort of conversations and trying to understand a bit more for myself. Um, yeah, have you got any, any advice for designers in their twenties and
1: coming into the industry? <laughs> Again, big question. <laughs> is, is there anything specific you want advice on? Or? No, I mean, I don't know really. Any, I, any I guess two? it's an attitude thing. Um, for me, is like um, you might not be the best designer, or you might not be able to draw, you you might feel like you you're not quite there. But don't worry about that. As long as you've got, as long as you bring the right attitude to the studio agency or however you want to call it every day I think just um, be that sponge soak up as much as you can um, and you will soon find what not only you're good at but what you like what you enjoy who you like working with um, so don't don't go um, comparing yourself to too many people and chasing after mm-hmm. um, after this sort of weird dream just get stuck in there and um, and do as much work as you can because it's only through doing lots of work that you become better at it and working with it.
0: I think as well, I think um, an observation that I'd, I'd make is that I always think, you know, and I, I wanted to be a designer, right, so it's quite a sexy, fun job. It sounds really cool, right? And I think a lot of people like the idea or love the idea of being a designer. they go through, you know, university or design school, or whatever, and become a, a graphic designer. And it's a relatively, dare I say, easy trade to get into compared to, you know, other professional services businesses. But but actually, there's a, there's a whole host of kind of, I suppose internal desire and everyone talks about, you know, loving the industry and wanting to do well, but actually, how are you demonstrating that beyond just turning up to work and and Mm. working on that brief? And for me it's like that it sounds like a classic cliche and it's the same from a strategy perspective, but that curiosity, right, and just being able to like, you know, go wherever you are, like if I ever go into London, wherever I am, like if I showed you what was on my camera roll on my phone, you'd probably want to get me sections or something. There's so much (laughs) random shit on there. But it's like just because you, you're seeing things and you're trying to, you know, you're you're immersing yourself and you're absorbing, like Chris says, as a sponge of all these things around you. And I think that you have to have that curiosity and that that sort of, I suppose, openness to all those other influences in order to affect and influence the the work that you're doing. And I think there's a tendency for a lot of people to be designers and love the idea of being a designer, but coming to work and you know, they work on a new project, but their first port of call is to do a Google search or a shut, you know, just what's in front of them, whereas I think, you know, the best designers are ones that pull on a whole host of, you know, of other external influences, and I think, I don't know, that's something that's really hard to teach, you know, people, it's, I don't know whether it's just something that you have within you or not, but I think the best, you know, young designers that I've worked with have that you know within themselves already and they're always bringing new things to the party and and you know looking for new influences and, and trying to bring those to whether it's right or wrong mm. doesn't actually matter it's just demonstrating that you know it's one thing to say you love being a designer and you love but actually demonstrate how how you're bringing that to the party I think is really important
2: so not just a Pinterest search not just not just going on to Google images Definitely. yeah no, not. there's <laughs> nothing I
0: mean there's nothing wrong with that but I think it's what you balance that off with I think if you just become a Pinterest designer, and it's it's a bit lazy, right? And I think there's so much going on, and you learn so much from, you know, looking at, once you understand, you know, the idea of any piece of communications based on an insight, you'll see poster sites that you'll drive past, or at the train station, and once your brain starts thinking that way, you'll start trying to unpick it and go, well, I wonder what the insight was behind Mm -hmm. that? And it's just little things like that really immersing yourself into the the way our industry works, and the way creative works, I think, is, is what helps people accelerate their growth, definitely.
2: Mm. I, I start looking at logos and thinking that how, how can I remake that in, in Illustrator, sort of make like mm-hmm. the curves and. So st- yeah, it is weird how your brain works. But right? I'd say, but
0: that that's that's almost the um. So that's a like a purist design right. design way of kind of the the craft of design. Whereas I think, I think for young designers, I I'd, I'd encourage them to go deeper than that to think about what, how, why does that why does it look like that? What is it trying yeah. to communicate? You know, go that level below. Craft is don't get me wrong, is a really important part of design, but I think just demonstrating an understanding of design as visual communication, like why is that logo shaped that way, why is that typeface that way, why is that image doing what it's what it's doing, right. like they're the things that really help you understand what we're actually trying to communicate in the first place.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to the Bristol City stuff and why what sort of influenced that because that's what when I look at football brands and, and sports rebrands, that's one of the main questions I ask is, is why 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 do that, especially the Juventus one. Like, uh, <laughs> but, um, We'll come to that in a second, but first of all, you, when I looked on your website, there's, there's a question that comes around quite a lot, is sort of, where next? And that's sort of the question you ask, to, is that the question you asked to clients? Because that's the main one that's sort of on the homepage of the website. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a bit of thought behind that and
0: why you ask that question?
1: Again, you're probably better place to answer
0: that, aren't you? All oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe not. But I think it, for us it's, um, you know, Chris made the point. You know, there's, there's a, I don't, I don't know. whether it's just us being, um, being sort of nervous about it. But there's that sort of slight sense that you know, Bristol's a place where people come to retire, right? Designers come to to, to die, as Chris said. But they weren't taking the Mickey. Yeah, I mean. But of course they are. But it's yeah. like you know, you can see why people might, might sort of say that. But I think for us as a, as an agency, and there are plenty of others in Bristol as well, in other areas that you know, yeah. don't have to be, you know, just based in London. Um, but it is about ambition, and I think for us, and you know, again, you sort of made the point around, you know, the, how clients and where they're at in their journey. I guess, and I think, you know, we know as an agency, and I think a lot of agencies would probably subscribe to the same thing that you you do your best work when you're working with the best clients. Um, and that kind of alignment of cultures, and I think you know we're ambitious. We're always striving to you know be better tomorrow than we are today, for instance, and, and learning, and, and we want. It's not it's not about just doing beautiful work for us. It's actually about helping our clients achieve what they want to achieve. So, so where next is really about asking clients really and sort of saying are you, what, what is your ambition? Are you serious about where you want to go to? Because we are about what we do. So, it's it's really around just sort of making trying to make sure that we attract the right sort of clients for us. Um, you know, we want clients that are ambitious, that are thinking beyond just the logo, just the piece of design. They are thinking about their total brand experience, for example, and about how they can make a difference in, in whatever it is they do, or whether it's make a difference in the world. So it's about where Next is really about um, our desire to work with like-minded, ambitious clients, basically. Yeah, nice.
2: That's a great answer. Yeah, I love I love that sort of, saying that's just, it's just a great saying it's sort of, uh, when I looked at it first, it sort of, I don't know, it, it, just made sense to me. It made sense to ask that question to clients, and sort of like a filtration, isn't it, for, for clients coming in to to your website? And if they don't really understand it, then I guess probably not the right client.
0: But it's it's good though as well because I, I mean it's an interesting one because I think I don't know many marketing people, directors, or marketing managers that would ever want to admit they don't have ambition. But it's quite provocative, right? Because it's yeah. like, where next? What you know? What is your ambition? It's like you should know that you should have one. So it's quite interesting because it sort of does you know position us as a you know, as, a, as a, a business that asks those right kind of commercial questions, like where you, again, where are you trying to get to? What, yeah. what, what's the top of the mountain that you're aimed, aiming for? And that's how, essentially that's how Mr. B Friend started, where kind of it wasn't just about design or digital or any of those individual kind of channels, it was a more around where you're trying to get to with your business, let's pull in the right people and the right brains in order to get you where you need to be.
2: Yeah, it's cool that this has grown since 2006, is it? It started in 2006. Yeah. So Mr. B was in his bedroom in 2006 doing this. Wow, that's, that's a fast growth,
1: right? That's that's pretty fast.
0: Yeah, so I guess so. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I, I
1: guess I don't know. I don't know the history of all yeah. the other agencies um, in Bristol, but yeah, it's um, it's obviously working. Someone's someone's working for him. Yeah, <laughs> I have to, to get him on a podcast. I have to chat with him. See if we can um, steal some of his time. Yeah, he would like <laughs> that.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, so going into the going into a specific project then the Bristol City stuff and um, the Bristol Bears and the, the Great Britain basketball stuff. Um, I'm a big sports fan anyway, so I like sports brands. Uh, is that something? Is that something you try and do? Is sport, focus on sports, or is that your your team based around sports, or you just happen to work with loads of sports guys? Um,
1: we we don't necessarily try and run after um, certain sort of sectors right. um, necessarily, but um, I guess what happens is one thing leads to another. Um, and we, we we start to become specialists in certain areas yeah. um, so we've got you know financial services clients we've got sports clients uh, we've got uh, tourism and, and leisure clients as well and we're sort of building up those um sort of portfolios if you want to call them that um but but fundamentally we're after uh, we're looking to partner with businesses and clients that um, want to all that, that you know Find their ambition and, and and really sort of communicate their purpose. So I, I don't think that we um we're not we're not going to turn people away because they're not sports client. It's more it's more about the sort of ambition, I suppose.
2: Yeah, uh, and it's that thing of putting stuff out. You get the
1: same stuff back. That's
2: that's what I was I've always been told that. I mean, if you're on Instagram and on your website, you have put stuff out that you, you enjoy doing, you get that sort of stuff back as people can relate to it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think there's a, there's definitely definitely an element as well of. Um, you know, we've all got our own personal interests, and, and you know, personally speaking, I'm a massive sports fan and football fan, <clears throat> so I jumped over the opportunity to work in these kind of areas as well. And yeah. I think, um, you know, Cy si and Steve, who's who's Cy's business partner, um, in those early days of um, Mr. B starting, they did some quite a bit of work with Fulham Football Club yeah. as well. So I think having that up their sort of up their sleeve, is part of their credentials. And I think, you know, since well, actually, even when we were based in Bath, which was Two years ago, we moved from Bath to Bristol, but um, we're really fortunate to have, you know, Bristol Sport as a as a sort of a, a sporting, you know, enterprise, I guess, in yeah. the yeah. in our neighbourhood, really, where there are these kind of opportunities, yeah. um, and obviously that sort yeah. of um, mothership, if you like, having you know Bristol Rugby, Bristol Bears, Bristol City, Bristol Flyers, is another um, another one of theirs, for example, and having that and you know on our doorstep and being able to to work with those guys is it's good it's good fun yeah. it's really good fun yeah.
2: Uh, so you football fan? Who do
0: you support? I'm a massive. Well, I'm a I'm a massive Everton fan okay. for my sins, but I, I'm I'm I i am do not think they deserve my um, support <laughs> after forty odd years of supporting them at the moment. But um, because I'm from I'm from the West Country originally, I'm from North Devon, and there's not that exactly a footballing hotbed. So yeah. um, Bristol City was always one of my sort of second teams, my local team. Um, so again, for me, um, it was great to be able. to sort of always had an interest in Bristol City. I've I've been, you know, I've been to the stadium years and years ago before the redevelopment and everything yeah. else and I remember what it was like in those days. So to see where it's at and how um, you know, everything's sort of really sort of coming into into place now, I think, for, the, for them as a, as a club, you know, with the Lansdowne's investment and also what's going on on the pitch with um, you know, Mark Ashton, the CEO, and, and Lee Johnson, the manager, everything seems to be pulling in the right direction. So it's quite this exciting time. So for me, being a sort of a, Bristol City is pretty much my second team, yeah. to get the opportunity to, you know, to sort of be part of that or hold on mm-hmm. to their coattails, I think was uh, was really good fun. Yeah, so. really
2: exciting. What well, about yourself? Are you a football fan, uh, sports fan?
0: Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, like, like all sport, really. Um, I used to support Liverpool back in the day, but I kind of moved away from football um, mm-hmm. and really, I guess, when I moved to London. Started focusing on design actually probably, um, but now uh, we've been working with Bristol Sport. I kind of and, and obviously um, it's a it's a really big part of the Bristol community. I, I've kind of become a, a fan of those uh, those guys now. So. I just I think about it. How come you're Everton?
0: Cause it, right, so it's family yeah it's family connections. Okay. I, I was I feel like I've been stitched up. Even though I don't yeah. wrong but my um, my uncle was a scout so my cousins four years old, me so I grew up in his hand me down, So okay, I've always yeah, been. Yeah. In, Everton pyjamas before I can even speak so I've got them to play basically
2: I'm, I'm a similar thing I'm, I'm a Swansea fan and dad grew up there so I'm still family down there so yeah yeah um, yeah. Same well, sort of hard,
0: <laughs> once you well, I, I mean I've got an eight year old son who I've made an Everton fan um, and Bristol City, but he he he's always struggling with that. Like, why do I need to put Everton? Everyone's <laughs> supporting Man City and Liverpool. Mm, mm. He's just eternally depressed, like me. <laughs>
2: so what happens when they? If it, what if Bristol get up to Premier League? I think
0: it's more the other way around. Maybe with okay. Everton get ready Yeah, yeah, run. yeah, true. Um, <coughs> I mean, that's yeah. Well, I think we have to deal with that as and when it as when it happens. But I think you know, to be honest, I think when you. Once you support one team primarily, it's yeah. hard to move away from that. So I think I'd always be an Everton fan. Though.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of kids, I, don't know, I went sort of through it um, with Liverpool as well actually. Uh, a lot of kids, when you're younger, you're sort of finding out who you support and, and then you know, family ties, then you want to support the big team. So it's, yeah, you definitely go through that period of who, who am I going to support. Um, so Bristol City, uh, working with them, and I mean, first of all, what they like to work with, well, just like to work with a big football club, because they are a big football club. <laughs>
1: Yeah, a, a fantastic client. Um, incredibly collaborative process. Um, they they were really respectful in in sort of allowing us the freedom to, to explore var- various different routes. And um, we had many conversations in this room actually. Um, plastered plastered all the walls with all of our thinking, and it was yeah. it was very much a um, conversation, not a presentation. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of my favourite projects to work on. I think in terms of process because um, it we had so many inputs awesome. from the um, supporter surveys and focus groups and, and club interviews um, to the actual stakeholders on the project, um, and and obviously you know everybody that supports Bristol City in the, in the in the agency as well so you kind of got that added pressure so there was a real buzz about the, the project
2: did, did they did you have to pitch to try and win it or did you is it just straight they came to you or
1: how did that work uh, so we've been working with them for a few years we okay. we did the um, the original Bristol sport logo uh, couldn't tell you when that was but it was um, a few years ago now um, and so we already had that relationship; it was fairly firm. So um, they came directly to us, Great. And, yeah. and that was with the Bristol Bears rebrand uh, that launched in twenty eighteen, um, and then yeah, that, that continued with, with Bristol
2: City. Yeah, I saw the Bristol the Bears um, logo. They've got a gif on their website, which is really cool. The, the process of sort of how it's made and mm. all the different sketches adding up, and then you can see the final <coughs> logo at the end. That's, that's really cool. To mm. um, so steal that it, for any young designers. It was <laughs>
0: the the Bears was interesting because the, the two. I mean looking at them from afar the two pieces of branding for Football Club feel quite similar but I think the Bears one was really interesting because it was a, a complete like re- rebuild of the, the brand really and about trying to attract next generation supporters to, right. to help fill the stadium in many, in many ways but um, so going from Bristol Rugby to Bristol Bears was a, was a massive leap but also You know, bears being, I suppose, almost as a metaphor for (laughs) rugby players, for big, massive, strong kind of guys. There's a load of kind of like metaphors you could use in that, and how you could bring it to life. So, from a creative perspective, like even how you start, you know, your photography style and all that. You've got a lot to work with. But it was quite interesting when we got onto robins because we weren't going to change the fact that essentially that a robin was going to be involved in the identity to some degree, but. There's only so much you can do with a robin and make it sound kind of like fearsome and exciting. I mean, yeah. Chris is the man. What well, he doesn't know about robins isn't worth we? <laughs> knowing.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you have to uh, deep dive into into the topic t- because it, that was a challenge. Like, right, make robins cool. Right. So, okay, they're quite cute, Christmassy, fat buds. So, <laughs> how you know that? How are we going to do that? Um, so, you, do you have any robin facts that you could share? Gosh, uh, not now. It was a couple of years. ago. I probably could have pulled this out. Your my book. Hand. What about the book you
0: bought? I did. Yeah, I did buy an old, an old
1: book um, in in sort of a, a secondhand stall, and um, there was lo- there was loads of gold in there in yeah. terms of um, thinking about the, the character of the bird and, and its its um, its attitude, and, and it's actually quite a vicious animal. It can be. It's quite. A, it's not. Although you wouldn't think it, it's a cute, it's a cutesy little thing. Um, it's very protective, um, so it can it can be it can get quite vicious. But,
2: that that works for us
1: yeah yeah did you
2: see so you include that in the branding and, and sort of that took a bit of it took a bit of insight from that
1: yeah so I suppose um, <clears throat> with any um, branding project we don't come at it from a purely stylistic sense we, we yeah. go back to the to the client and to the um, business and ask what the purpose of the the rebrand is um, and we established that there was there were different ways that we could have taken um, the, the crest redesign and we explored three routes mainly so there was the sort of heritage route and um, so we know that uh, Robin was first featured on the crest in 1949 and it kind of it kind of bounced in and out um, up to up to now um, and so that was one route could, you know could we hark back to to the heritage um, you know another way to look at it could be well maybe you know we're, we're a championship club that is actually uh, it, it's got a really progressive um, sort of approach, so maybe we should look at contemporary um, styling and, and look at the, the world of football today and, and try and sort of fit in rather than stand out. Um, that was an option but I don't think it was particularly, um, it, it wasn't sort of firmly jumped on because it, they're actually more progressive than that and that was the third route um, which was trying to make sure that um, the whole sense of the club um, was communicated, that sense of progression and uh, that sort of relentless pursuit of excellence. Um, so we, we sort of honed in on that on that route pretty quickly, and that's why um, the the look and feel of it is is um, very sort of minimal, um, very bold, very clean, um, and, and and ready for sort of a new era, I suppose. Um, works in both digital formats and, and for um, um, clothing and and uh, event spaces and things like that. Yeah,
0: I think I think as well. I think I our job in both those projects but but particularly on, on Bristol City was that we've got to balance two kind of audiences really. One is the direction in which the club wants to take. Um, you know, Chris mentioned about, you know, relentless pursuit of excellence and the fact that, you know, as a, there's a a huge amount of focus in, in trying to establish Bristol as a as a powerhouse really and you know, and with the stadium that they've got now, you know, Bristol as a city as well, we should really be in the in the Premier League, so that kind of focus about driving the club in in a certain way, but also, you know, importantly, man- making sure we are sort of offsetting that or managing that all the expectations of the fan base, because yeah, we right. know, you know, sports brands and football in particular in this country, like in other massive footballing nations, um, it's tribal, right? So, you know, it's not about asking fans what they want because. Mm actually they might have something that's completely disconnected to where the club wants to go, Um, but it's about trying to balance those two things. So the whole process, and this is, you know, Hats off to to the club and to you know John Lansdown, the other guys Bristol Sport behind it was that they really want to do both of these projects properly and not just go well. We think it should be this, so let's do it. But really respect the fans, bring them on that journey, and um, and then our job, as I say, was really to try and take what the club, where the direction the club wants to go in, yeah. with where the fans see mm. what they do, and sort of merge those two things together. And I think yeah. I think you're never going to please anyone, particularly with you know branding like this. But I think largely we've we've done a good someone. job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you, I was going to say the, the, there's a football. I have a, like a ranking system of football logos in my head, and um, I, before this one was like Wolves, um, mm. probably Juventus. I really like those two. And yeah. um, you got the old Sheffield Wednesday one. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And then like you did this, and it's like up there. Oh, it's cool, so wow. so good. Thanks. You just um, saying that right? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've done I've those podcasts on football branding, and then yeah, listen yeah. to those, and I'll say it, I'll say it on there, but. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I've asked a few of my friends as well who are into football branding, and, and we were wondering about what happens when you work in football clubs, because you probably know about the Leeds rebrand, what yeah. happened
1: with them, mm-hmm. We're not bringing the fans on board or, or just sort of thinking about that. That was the first thing we spoke about yeah. as soon as the brief landed. It's just like, right, we're including the fans, because yeah. we cannot afford, and we don't actually want to, um, to sort of. Take anything where the clan, the fans don't want it. Is that they they almost own it as much as yeah, as course. the club does? Um, so that that was completely imperative.
2: So what do you think happened with the Leeds one? Do they do you think that because there's some conspiracies about being a PR stunt and getting the name out in the media? <laughs> what, do, what
0: do you think happened with <laughs> it? Another okay. sort of Paddy Power behind the design. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The design arm Paddy Power. Um, I don't know. It's it's, it's you know because they talked about engaging with the fans, right? But I but I think um I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't. I can't remember seeing the exact sort of figures in terms of how they did that. It's easy to say you yeah. know we with the fans. I but think it said it's about
2: ten thousand people, but yeah. I mean that's only a fraction of the actual fans anyway. But if it, even if they did, I and don't, I, and don't I think
0: you know, and it's it's the process you go through because I think you can you can do that. You can send surveys out. You can run focus groups. Yeah. Um, you can get a feel for you Know what they're talking about, or some insights from that, and I think that classic you know, that was the I used to live with the Le- a Leeds family years ago, and that was their classic kind of Leeds, Leeds, yeah. Leeds kind of salute. So it belongs within their world, right? But I can imagine sitting there in a, a number of sessions or and, and getting to that insight, they want to bring back this, but 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 actually, the, the, the actual articulation of it might be completely different. But so I can sort of see how they might have ended up in that space, but I what I, I'd question about you know, once they had that insight and they developed it into a design, what happened next? Did they they test it? Did they engage with other key people within the process? And I think, you know, we we tried to run a, um, you know, when we talk about taking the, the supporters on that journey with us, there's a number of ways to do that. I mean, start big in terms of getting across the entire sort of fan base, get as much information as we can in, but once we took those insights from that first piece of work and we started to shape it into designs, um, we sort of work with a bit of a so a bit of a steering group, kind of key supporters within the club, just to sort of bounce ideas and um, and just make sure we were clear that we we're heading in the in the right direction. Because a lot of those people are you know are in, you know many different many ways kind of influencers in that within that supporter base and you know, important people within the club that you know we wanted to make sure that we are they felt they were being listened to and and that came through in the design. But I think you can run surveys, you can do get insights, you can then run off on a tangent with something that. You know, you design and feels great. If yeah. you press go without checking in, you can have all sorts of problems, like the like the knee side incident. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, that that just that was crazy that one. Um, but yeah, so the, the, doing all the other thinking behind in the in the feedback groups and considering the fans, did that Robin theme come up? Well, obviously, do cause that's why you went with it, right? Is that is that's so it came up on three routes?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Route? Yeah. Um, like I say, it's, it's been part of their the history for. For decades, and um, I think one of the questions was, "What do you associate uh, most with Bristol City?" Okay. Um, and apart from Ashton Gate and um, Red and White, the the, the strongest answer the was Robins. No the bri- Robins beat the Bridge, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it it was something that we kind of felt like it should should play a uh, you know important role, but actually the the surveys backed us up um, on that as well. So. Yeah, it was something that we, we had to make work really. Yeah. So there, no no Christmas problem. There was a bit of a
0: there was a bit of a teaser as well, I guess, because the season before, before we even started working on yeah, the project or we were true. asked to work on the project, um, the awake it had reverted back to the old Robin badge. So right. I mean there's lots of incarnations of the Robin badge going back from you know, really early nineteen hundreds, really. Um, but I think the last one that everyone sort of remembered and associated before it moved to the City of Bristol Crest, which was the old crest. Um, was probably, I think, late 80s, early 90s, maybe, early 90s. But that, that exact badge was on the away kit last year um, and some of the training gear and, and merchandise as well. And I think just seeing the amount of the popularity of, of, of how well those things sold in the club shop was kind of a, well, there's yeah, still clearly nice. some, some big love for the robin. So yeah. mm-hmm. I think, you know, we knew before we even spoke to people that, it's likely the Robin would would come up in the in the process, which invariably it did. Yeah, it's, it's
2: interesting to see clubs do that, because Liverpool have gone with the Bird on their kits, um, but then they've I don't think they're allowed to trademark the Bird because it belongs to the city council or something. Right. And that's why they have to have um, the main crest as uh, as their main logo. Mm. They're allowed to put that on the on the shirts. It's it's a strange all this copyright stuff. Um, but so, uh what was the questions? So I was going to say about the. I took notes. <laughs> Um yeah, that's what I was going to say about the Clifton suspension bridge, you said it, it Robin beat it when you included that um when you did the robin and didn't have the Clifton suspension bridge in it w- was that um a big kickback, or did, did anyone pick it up on that or
1: absolutely yeah, yeah it was it was an ongoing debate whether we should include it, and we explored loads of different versions um, I think what we found was that we were trying to create something that was um, progressive, modern, and could become an icon. Yeah. Um, and so actually, sort of the more you add to it, um, the, the less simple and pure it becomes. Um, I don't want to sort of poo-poo anyone else's work, but if you look at the Qatar World Cup uh, logo, then you can kind of see they've thrown a lot at that logo. There's all sorts going on there. Right. Um, and sometimes you just think, actually, do you know what? If you just exercised a little bit of restraint, you could have had something a little bit stronger. Um, and and that's what we we, we we felt is that actually if you just make the robin excuse the pun sing um, then uh, then then it will that be more makes. successful yeah <laughs> um, but the, the bridge is is present in the brand uh, graphic elements um so you'll see it um, in some of the collateral um using that sort of 3d um, style uh, but the actual crest itself is all about the robin uh, I think
0: that's an important point to make as well I suppose that uh, you know for a football club or any sports brand, the actual logo that appears on the kit feels like the sort of the, the be all and end all. But I think our our creative job in this was was much broader than that. Actually, create a a whole visual identity, a whole kit of parts so that, again, you know, to Chris's point, that feels progressive, feels modern, um, helps to reflect the direction in which the club's going in, and, and actually, you know, I dare say, it, but the conversation we had earlier, but Bristol's got that sort of reputation of being quite a sort of creative, yeah, quite trendy, sort of yeah. uh, trendy, you know, mm-hmm, kind yeah. of. Um, play. So, trying to keep some of that vibe going. So, it's not just about, you know, the, yes, the, the bridge isn't in the, the actual badge is on the kit itself, but, you know, we created a whole kit of parts in terms of a, a graphic representation of the bridge, which I believe is used on the back of the kit, which looks pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's used in other guises on other materials, I think even on the ticket themselves. So, yes. the bridge is there within the kit of parts and the identity, it's just not on the actual badge. Yeah. So, there's a bit of a, a balancing act on that.
2: Because some, some people were saying on Twitter and they are wondering whether in the actual round or the badge you've only got half, sort of half of, is it a football that Robin's standing on? Yeah. 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 So when it's in the badge it looks like an arch, like the bridge. Yeah. So some people were wondering whether that was sort of. It's what amazing it what actually, people read, yeah, yeah. read
1: into um, we had people saying oh it looks like a B and an S for Bristol Sports It's like well okay. if it does that's a complete mistake, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. intentional. Um, but yeah, it's incredible what people read into it, and you know we've had all sorts of things to you know. For, oh, it looks like a bird on a euda cycle and stuff like that. And we we had all of those conversations about oh, you know, you could misread it as that, but actually, I think at some point you have to say okay, it might be, but fundamentally, it's working, it's successful. We know it's a football when you take it out of the crest, you you soon realise that yeah. it's, a, it's a football.
0: So it, it's really interesting because it's like they say how many what people see in things as well, and I think. It's such a kind of a crazy world and we think about football fans and how they see things. And with any sporting club, like you know, performance on the field covers a multitude of sins, you know, but as soon as things aren't going going well, they spot things. And we, we had conversations when we had loads of, you know, initial design things up where doesn't the Rob look like he's got his eyes closed? You know, what if we lose mm. a few games? Does it look like as a club we're we're directionless or we're yes. going blind, you know, and it's like it's amazing that level of detail that comes out because of just how passionate people are about their yeah, yeah. about their sports clubs yeah
2: so, so that's a good point because people the fans have to like the badge obviously, and on social media
1: you're obviously going to get backlash um, and did you, did you experience much of that or was it quite positive do you know what when we, um, when we launched Bristol Bears, we knew that it was going to cause a bit of a stir because right. you weren't just rebranding them visually and tonally it was actually um, it was their name. It was. It's almost what people fundamentally identify with. Then the name, um, and so we we were kind of, um, yeah. I guess being honest, we were a little bit scared about how people were going to take it. But it was a decision that was made, and and you have to sort of um, sort of be- believe that it's the right thing to do, and and we did, and and, and you know we made Bristol um, the home of bears, and I I think you know we're all proud that um, that's now so cemented. Um, and, and it's it's working really really well, um, but because we had that um, experience of, of, of a bigger change when we launched the Bristol City badge, um, it almost wasn't quite as scary um, because because we'd kind of we'd taken a few punches before. Um, Having said that, it's never nice to get critical feedback, yeah. but you do you do sort of expect it, and then eventually accept it. I mean, if you put anything out in the world, Twitter will hate it, <laughs> so you just have to accept that. I, I always laugh at it because
2: it—you never know what the client's saying in the in the room. You're not, the, because people start redesigning them as well. Yeah, and I'm, I've been good with this oh in yeah. the past. Not not with the Bristol one, luckily, but. Uh, you, yeah, you, you just never know what the client's saying in the boardroom, or you never know what the brief is, or you've got no insight into it, and all of a sudden you're designing it based on looks, and yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the design. The design scene being critical, um, just from just from looks is is quite toxic <laughs> in a way. I think, I think there's
0: there's definitely that, and it still amazes me. But I mean, even throughout the process we're working on for um, Bristol City, the amount of. Um, Designs we got forwarded that being sent into the club, you know, and they're like, someone's just designed this. You know, what do you think of this? It's like a hobby for people. That yeah, know, mm-hmm. just tens of them, you know, all the, all the time. But I think there's the, there's that there's that side, the design side, where everyone thinks they're a designer and can kind of do that piece of work. But there's also the you know that kind of underlying cultural stuff that that plays into people's opinions as well. And I think Bears was a was a a tricky one. We knew it would always be tricky because of the. The history of, of Bristol rugby originally playing in memorial ground which is Bristol Rovers territory so yeah, yeah. just before we even got involved in anything the, the nature of a Bristol sport effectively taking over Bristol rugby and moving them to Ashton Gate was a massive no-no for a lot of Bristol right, City yeah, fans and you know, I, I don't know how true it is but it's been told too many times I can imagine it could be there's a lot of you know pretty staunch Bristol rugby fans as soon as it moved to Ashton Gate because they're Bristol Rovers fans, refuse to ever set foot in Ashton wow. Gate. So, you know, if you think of that the background, there's still plenty of Bristol Rovers fans that are going to watch Bristol rugby in Ashton, the home of their arch rivals from a football perspective, yeah, yeah. it never sits well. So when you add on top of that a complete name change, it's like pulling them even further away from what they used to know and love. And mm-hmm. I think, so we we always on that project, we always knew there was gonna be uh, some hefty backlash from certain parts of the Porter Creek. But again, it's like, you know, you've got to think about balancing the future of the the club as well, and and you know it is a, a sort of a relatively aging fan base, certainly compared to football. And there's a twenty six, twenty seven thousand brilliant seat stadium there. How do we get more bums on seats? How can we get the next generation of supporters to come and and be part of it? And that's really what was sort of driving the brief, and you know, and, and bringing it into more of a making it more of a brand, making it more accessible, making it more giving it more of an identity. And I think probably one of the most um, the best things that we've seen that, that really I think we've sort of gone, wow, well, we've actually really helped achieve what they want to achieve was something as simple as somebody posting on the Bristol Bears um, Twitter feed or website, whatever, the, the other week, which was someone who redecorated their kids' bedroom mm-hmm. with the Bears logo all over it and it was Bears, yeah. Bears, Bears. And it's hard to picture how that would have looked with the old city crest. Cause yeah. Yeah. It's just not cool. And I think something as simple as that, just thinking back to the real objectives of what was set, it was like, wow, actually, I don't think that would have happened if it was still Bristol Rugby, because it's not, mm. it doesn't have that fun factor that yeah. a seven, eight, nine year old kid would actually want in their place. So When you see kids wearing the kit and all that kind of stuff, it actually, you realise that we've actually helped, you know, take the take the club hopefully, or, or protect its future in, in that way.
1: Yeah, I think the, you know, both clubs are incredibly progressive, um, and, you know, a, a key part of that is being part of the community, and giving back to the community, and seeing things like that where, you know, a kid's bedroom is is plastered with the logo, or even just seeing um, little ones wearing the, you know, the replica kits around the park. It's amazing to feel like, you know, um, that that community um, ethic and spirit is actually it runs it runs through, and it's it's nice to see that it's working. Yeah, no, that's that's lovely. I mean, it must be must feel yourself
2: a pride when you know knowing you've worked on that it's such a big thing, and you know, like saying seeing kids or, or you know on stadium signs and. That's pretty cool. But it's but
0: cool. it's easy to like get caught up in the like I say the design and the looks and all that and go oh yeah there's it right. cool and there's a styling right and all that but the strategy was good as well. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's a bigger part to it right. It's, it's there the reason we've, the reason we've been brought in to help them out is for a specific reason for yeah, the no, for the club and it goes beyond just doing a refresh of, a, of an identity and I think you know for both you know Bears particularly because it's such a big rebrand you know move from rugby to. To bears, uh, but also Bristol City. It's about helping that club progress. They're really Absolutely. ambitious. Because again, where next? They're a really ambitious club and business, um, and we're really you know pleased to be helping you know play a part in that. Yeah. Nice.
2: Um, where do you see football brands and because football clubs are becoming brands now, well they are brands. Um, where do you see the logos and the crest designs going? Uh, do you think they're more going to be coming in more into your territory with the Bristol City stuff, the more modern stuff, or do you think they're going to try and stay traditional to sort of city crests and badges or well, when do you see well, it can be something different I don't know?
1: I think it might take some time for you to see some themes emerging because um, it, is, it is such an undertaking to, to rebrand uh, a football club um, you know you, you look at, uh, I don't know, somebody like Aston Villa you know, just dropping a word from the crest or, or yeah. Barcelona for instance. Um, I think subtle changes are going to happen more than wholesale massive reviews um, it was it made perfect sense for Bristol City to, to make that leap from um, that sort of uh, heraldic crest which was actually the crest for the city of Bristol mm. they didn't own it they, they didn't even um, you really have have a license to, to use it i don 't think uh, I might be wrong there um, <laughs> but no it, it, it was time for them with you know with new ownership new management manager, manager yeah. um, for them to to have a a really strong identity and and, and um, something to sort of represent their ambitions to go up
0: up into the into the next league. So yeah, I, I I sort of I suppose I quite like a bit of history, and I suppose being a being a big sports fan as well, I I'd hope that you know because you see some really cool contemporary you know marks and things being done in in all sorts of fields, but I think there's something about remembering where you've come from as, a, as in your heritage as a club and i'd hate to see that hmm. people lose sight of that in a quest to be seen as more contemporary more modern all that kind of stuff and i think in some ways i think i'd like to think and this is just my opinion that a lot of fans would believe would feel the same but they want to see some connection to when they first started yeah, they supporting do. that club yeah. and not you know and you made the point about the juventus one and I, and I think that's a really bold move and um and i suppose i you know because i i was in australia for quite a few years and you know most of the sports there are part of the franchising model where you know Sydney Swans as a as a Aussie rules team used to be a Melbourne side. and It's like, how do you have that affinity? And the batches change all the time. And the, it might be a new city, but the things stay the same. And I think we're really privileged in a, you know a country with the history of football starting in the late eighteen hundreds or whatever. But to have that heritage and history, and I and I'd, I'd sort of whilst I love you know I love what we've done for, for, for Bristol City and I love contemporary you know contemporary feel but I don't I, want, I wouldn't want to see that at the expense of bringing along some of that heritage yeah, I think yeah. the two things can coexist definitely
1: absolutely I think I think if any football clubs are thinking about um, going in a in a really progressive um, visual style, then they they, they need, do need to be careful. I mean, we even we harked back to the Robin because it was because it was a part of the heritage, and we even made the date um, part of the crest to 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 nod to that mm. um, to, for, for when they established. So, yeah, it's it's definitely something that should not be um, ignored.
0: I, I also think there's a really um, really interesting what you're seeing with the likes of PSG, where you are sort of blurring the. The lines of football into fashion, and yep. I think mm-hmm. some of those new kit, Nike kit, kit releases where they've got the classic Nike logo as well and the retro 90s kind of feel it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Obviously, mm-hmm. pretty much in the 90s, but maybe even before, but but I that there's that sort of blurring of the lines, and I think, um, I, I wonder you know again it's that getting that balance right you can still protect the heritage and make sure people you know you're respectful for where you've come from as a as a brand but still demonstrate that you are progressive and in, in in other ways but i think you know even sticking like you know the PSG kit with a Nike Air Jordan logo on it i mean that's who'd have thought that you know that's got nothing to do with football but yeah. it it's got that sort of fashion piece whether that's right or wrong or whether that you know floats every supporter's boat probably not cause it's impossible to appease them all but it's quite interesting when you see what's that blurring of the lines definitely between sport and fashion
1: yeah and I think also it's really important to build on what you're saying earlier is that um, a brand is not just a logo so right. if you if you look at um, you know the Aston Villa work which is which is beautiful um, the actual crest itself didn't change that much but the all of the work that surrounds it um, it you know w- was a significant modernization and then it just brought that that club up um, to, to, to a modern day look and feel, and um, yeah, fan- fantastic piece of work, but actually looking at the crest of, in, in isolation, you, you would wonder where the money got spent, but, and I think that's actually, a lot of this um, critique of brands um, happens where the logo gets launched on Twitter or whatever, and, and everyone says, what, that's ridiculous, what a waste of money, how have they, how have they even spent that much? Yeah. Um, but actually, it's not. It's not about that. A brand is so much bigger than that. It's about, um, it's about brand experience and and everything that that comes with that. So
0: what what's interesting as well, though, because I think um so that's all. I think whilst I just said what I just said about protecting, you know, where you have come from. A lot of those kind of classic, iconic football club marks. And you mentioned, you know, Wolves, Sheffield yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. You have got Nottingham Forest. You got Derby County. The oh, Rams. Yeah, like yeah, they're, yeah. they're still to this day. If they just appear today, you'd be going, they're they're really progressive, contemporary marks. But they've been around from probably the '60s, right, yeah, or yeah. even before. So even before that, and even looking at some of the early Robbins work as well, there's some really iconic stuff. But yeah. somewhere along the line, someone's made that bold move to go right. We're gonna, we're now gonna look like this, and it's really, let's say, really iconic. And I think. You know, it's maybe, maybe there's something in that as well, that you just take those bold moves and it can become iconic over time. So yeah. I'm just completely contradicting what I just said. <laughs> but I just, I, I think that's what's great about it, right? Because there's no, I don't think there is a wrong or right answer and you're never going to please everyone. But I think it does reflect, you know, what you create going beyond just the logo into the whole visual identity. Um, it just needs to reflect the direction your club's taking, the type of club that you are. Because yeah. some things just won't feel right for certain clubs. Um, so yeah, that's why it's, it's quite exciting.
2: Nice. Okay, so the, on the podcast, I would like to go a bit deeper in the last couple of questions, and so sort of ask more about your personalities. And okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the first question is probably as well. Anyway, I'll ask it. The uh, best purchase under a hundred pounds. Anything doesn't have to be design related. Gosh. Yeah. Best purchase under yeah. a hundred pounds.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Think. This
2: is one of the easier of these four questions. That's <laughs> the easiest one, I
1: yeah. don't
0: oh, no. First purchase, under £100. Um, I, bought a, I bought a cardigan the other day. That right. uh, I've not stopped wearing. Everyone takes a piss out of me. But,
1: um, <laughs> That's going to bring up the bag, the one that you bought. As soon as I <laughs> <bring> it <back. laughs> it's over £100, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Chris, Chris bought, had a really nice rucksack that I like to look up, so I went and bought the same one, which yeah. he's never been happy about. <laughs> that was just to bit over £100. Oh, I, I got it for under £100. Do? Oh, do no. you? I know. <laughs> um, you're just saying that <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
1: Black Friday anyway um, <laughs> yeah I can't
0: think can we can we let you know yeah we'll yeah, come yeah, back to yeah, yeah, you know. mate, uh,
1: a voice clearly not buying team. enough stuff
2: <laughs> that's not a bad thing that's not a bad thing um, no, a lot of people said like event tickets or, or travel tickets to going somewhere um, meals out with the, the spouses or family or um, yeah just, uh, the ones come up quite a lot is Apple Pencils. Yeah, like for oh, for right. iPads and oh, stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, the Wacom tablets as well, a big popular one. Mm. Um, okay, next one's some life advice. Do you have any life advice? <laughs> I should have sent these in, in advance. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one.
0: I, I think, I don't know, I, I think life it's really hard, isn't it? Because you, you sort of look at your own life and go, shit, what, what's not quite working as well as you probably hope? But I think. I definitely think there's a tendency for people trying to run before they walk. Like in, I say, in the olden days, but like it was all you know, you have to you sort of do your time, you learn, right? You have to, and like there's no, there's no, there's no cheat for that. I think, I think that first sort of ten years of your, of your, you know, uh, of your profession, if you like, you have to, you have to learn it. And I think a lot of what we do is the c- kind of consultancy fear sphere, sphere. And I suppose it's like, how how can you provide consultancy to businesses? if you haven't been there and done it and gone through it and i think there's right. a tendency to sort of lose sight of that and i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to curtail ambition or anything like that but you know you see people come straight out of university and set up their own businesses and it's like providing design consultancy advice and i just i struggle with that a little bit i think you mm. i think people need to experience and you can that you know you can learn on the job but i know that if i was a if i had a business and i was seeking design consultancy or brand consultancy i'd want to make sure that they've their experience in that field, like any consultancy field. So I think making sure that you're not running before you walk and just taking your time, not being such a rush to get to where you want to be and just making sure you understand as much as possible.
2: That's a big one, that's a big one for me and trying to, trying to rein it in and actually realise, because I've, I've gone through things where I've put we on my website and it's just me, you know, a lot of people do that, a lot of young designers do that. Um, and then start calling themselves like brand strategists, <laughs> yeah. so they're not qualified. <laughs> they're not, there's no. But
0: you know, it is it is it is hard. But I think there's no substitute for experience, and, and the sort of wisdom that comes with that. And I think that that will bail you out of many sticky situations when you've got that up in your pocket. I think you can often get like you'll always get yourself in a sticky situations no matter how much experience you've got. But not having that experience to fall back on. Um, it is a bit of a comfort blanket, but as yeah. like I say, I don't, I don't want to curtail ambition and you know and how fast people want to move. But I think, like I say, especially in our industry, when you're talking about anything that's consultancy, um, you kind of need to know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think mine would be a classic. Um, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. Um, I think that, that is uh, something that you should try and uh, try and remember as you go through your career, I guess, um, because. Um, you, you don't know where your career is going to go yeah. and you don't know where all the people that you work with are going to go. You might work with them again or you might um, need to lend a, lend an arm or, or, or you even um, you know, ask for some help sometime and I think uh, it's always nice to be nice anyway. Um, I guess the second part to that is probably don't congratulate yourself too much. Um, it's quite easy to sort of get excited by, by, by work that, that is um, successful or, or, or great but actually Keeping a check on that ego is is, um, is always worthwhile because again it's about it's about um, trying to f- trying to create um, it, you want to be worked you, you want to work with nice people and you want people to work with you so um, yeah
0: I, I think, think it on that because made me think something but I think as well we're really privileged to work in this industry like it's a fun industry to mm-hmm. work in but I think when I first started it was like there was still a mold you had to adhere to like if you were seen as a creative service suit or a creative, it was like, you know, we had to wear, like still wear suits and they, you know, the creatives could wear whatever they wanted and, and I, that's never sat well with me but I think what, what I like about our industry and I think what I always try and do is that I don't, I hate the thought of that people have to be, feel they have to be different to what they're like in their private lives. I mean, you look at big, you know, law firms and that sort of, you sort of have to fit a certain mould whereas people out at work are quite, quite different whereas I think we're really privileged in that I don't think we have to do that. No. There's no, be just be yourself, and I and I, I was you know certainly as a bit of advice, you know advise people just to be themselves and not feel that they have to fit a certain mold because that's the the beauty of what we do, right? And that's you know people have their own identities and yeah, the that's opposite important. don't fit a mold. Be yourself. Brilliant, What
1: what's your view on the world? That that's that's what will make you successful. With, to, to use that word, which which isn't is hard to define, but I think if you've got a view on the world, um that's that's what you should be shouting about. It's not about like how good you are at kerning or anything. It's like, yeah, this is this is my my take on it. Um having an opinion is really important. That's good advice,
2: good advice. Uh next one is <laughs> what drives you? Uh what what keeps you motivated to do what you do?
0: Showing your mum you work <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: No, well, to be to reference that, I've always said like if you're gonna do a piece of work that you're really proud of, you, it needs to be something that you would want to show your mum um, excitedly, and it's not about just doing a piece of work because you've been asked to do it. It's about actually you no, know, you know, it might be it might be something that your mum doesn't even understand, but yeah. you still want to show her or any anybody that's important in your life. You know, it's not that was just a. But Adams hung
0: on to that since. Uh, I, I never let that go. <laughs> Just mummy's boy. <laughs> I think. I think for me, and it sounds a bit of a cliche, but being a strategy and a, pl- a planner, a strategy and a planner. But um, there's a bit of a problem-solving thing. Like I like solving problems. Um, I don't. I don't actually really care what the client is like. Some people, you know, will look at different agencies. And go, oh, I only want to work on these brands because they're really exciting. Whereas, you know, maybe because I've I've been around for for a while now, but. I can kind of see through that, and for me, it's what what are we trying to achieve. What's the problem? And that's a really that's a kind of a pure strategist mindset, really. And I think helping businesses do things that they can't do themselves, um, I still kind of get off on that. I still genuinely, you know, get excited by that. And um, you know, and it's like I say, the, even though you might work through similar sort of processes, no two problems are ever quite the same. And you know, there's always there's always that part. So it's never it's never dull. It's never boring. But I think being able to like not lose sight of why this brief exists in the first place, what that client's trying to achieve. And like we say with, with you know Bristol Bears and you know, when we saw, you know, the, the whole brief was about, you know, how do we get younger people into supporting the club and then, you know, a year down the line or a year and a half down the line you see someone sending us, you know, incredible mural on the wall of the bedroom and Bristol Bears stuff everywhere mm-hmm. for like an eight year old whoever whatever it was. Yeah, I mean amazing. I like to say I, I that that's what keeps me motivated. That's that that kind of stuff. Um
1: I think what actually drives me, um, not necessarily showing my mum, uh, is uh, is actually just sort of self betterment, seeing what I'm actually capable of, or wh- what we are capable of as as a team, and um, and seeing if you can influence culture somehow. I think that's you know that's the real buzz if if you've created something where people don't just like it, but they love it and they want to wear it or they want to use it or they want to they couldn't live without it. I mean that it's not really. It's not about attaching yourself to it. It's just about saying that you've kind of impacted something, I guess.
0: Well, I think what goes with all that as well is that like you never, you know, we're, again, really fortunate in the industry cause you, ne- you never stop learning. Like, you definitely, I think, you know, you still learn stuff every day. And I think, you know, you, I love the idea that you sort of, you're going to be smart, you know, I'm smarter today than I was yesterday because saying that no two projects are ever the same, you never get bored, you're never just churning out the same old same old stuff. I'm sure people do, but that's certainly not the way we work. And I think, you. I, I sort of, the thought of working somewhere where you felt that you knew everything and you just did the same thing over and over again, it might be a very profitable business model, but I, it doesn't. I couldn't do that. I, I right. like the fact that you know I'm learning more and actually I can, you know I can use that for something else. I think there's a continuous learning piece. I think's really important that drives Definitely. you along.
2: Love it. Nice. How would you want to be remembered? As the last question. Gosh. Um.
1: <laughs> it's a hard question to answer it is uh, they say that they don't you, people don't remember what you say or what you do they remember how you made them feel um, so again it's, go, it's about back to being nice I guess um, you wouldn't want to make the, the best work out there and then have no friends um, so it's about getting that balance, I suppose. It's a bit like Steve Jobs, isn't it? People re- remember
2: him for being a bit aggressive and a bit of an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But, uh, yeah. but I, I agree on that. I think, um, I've, I've got this thing as well, like when you're when you're really immersed into the client's business and the client's problem, whether you're a strategist, a designer or client service, it's like there's a sort of a level of passion that you show without even thinking about it that I generally mm. believe can't be faked. And I think it plays into I what think that's what I mean, yeah. To what Chris is saying, it's like, you know, we've had sort of had feedback from, I mean, interestingly, from one of the clients who now from Bristol Sport, who now actually works for us, and he was saying, pretty much the first time you guys came to present to us, we could just sense there's this real kind of energy and enthusiasm in ter- terms of what you were doing, and I think, like that, to Chris's point, is probably. Like the more important thing, I, I like, you know, we give, we really give a shit about the work yeah. we do, right? And I, if that comes across and people and that's their take out that these guys really care about our business, yeah. then I'm I'm happy with that, definitely.
1: Yeah, yeah
2: no, that that's exactly it. Yeah. On. That's what thank you very much. It's been good. It's been really good. Yeah, no, it's good. Thanks, mate. Where can people find uh my cardigan? Mr. Be and Fear. <laughs> Mr. Fe- Fe- my friends that. on social media and, and check check them
0: out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: Absolutely.
0: It's like oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <is that laughs> on B and B and Friends? It, I'd imagine. It, yeah. Yeah. Search yeah. so Mr. Bean Friends. Mr. Friends. Wicked. Twitter, Instagram, everything. Wicked. Yeah. It's been really good. Thank
2: you very much. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, there you go. Oh, that's it.